So we are continuing today in our series on the Apostles' Creed. Uh, the Apostles' Creed, if you're new here, is uh, an ancient summary of some of the core beliefs of the Christian faith. Uh, it's been passed down through the centuries. And this fall, we're taking it line by line, and we're just asking, what does it mean to confess these things? What does it really mean to believe them, and, and why do they matter? And this is our, our sixth week in the Creed, and we've actually come to a line that... Uh, I'm both excited and a little nervous to talk about because in some ways it's one of the more uh, controversial and difficult lines. Um, so I think we'll have fun today. <laughs> um, but you guys know the drill. If you are able, I invite you to stand up and uh, let's begin by reciting the creed together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, you can be seated. <clears throat> Let me begin with a prayer. Lord, we thank you again for this morning, and we thank you for... Uh, these, these ancient truths that have been passed down to us. And Lord, we just invite you right now uh, to work in our hearts, to speak to us. Lord, we want to be open to receive whatever it is that you want to say, however you want to minister to us now. And uh, so we just give our attention to you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so this week's line, it is a short one. It's just, he descended to the dead. And this is probably the line in the creed that people are least familiar with. In fact, there are some churches today who take this line out. They don't say it. Uh, they're in the minority, but there are a few who do that. And one of the reasons that some churches don't say it is because the earliest versions of the creed that we know of don't include this line. It seems to have been added a little bit later. But, and this is very important, that doesn't mean that they did not believe what it says. In fact, what I've heard is that uh, in the early days of the church, when many people said he was crucified, died, and was buried, that would have included what is being said in he descended to the dead. So people would hear that Jesus died, and then their minds would automatically also go to this descension to the dead. But because not everyone grasped that meaning when they just said the words, Jesus died, this line was added to clarify what the church believes. And I would say that we still need that clarification today. Because I think for many of us, when we hear that Jesus died, what our minds think is something like, well, his heart stopped beating, his lungs stopped breathing, his brain waves stopped waving, and, uh, yeah, his body gave out. 
And all of that is true, but that only describes the death of the physical body. And there is more to a human being than simply the physical body. Uh, you might remember that right before Jesus died on the cross, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. In other words, Father, into your care I entrust my spirit, the, the, the non-physical part of me, right? And, and so Jesus' spirit left his body when his body died. And then his spirit did what human spirits would do, which is that it descended to the dead, meaning it went to the realm of the dead. It went to the place where dead human spirits would go. Uh, one way of thinking about this whole section of the creed is that it describes what we now call Easter weekend. Right? The uh, line that we looked at last week describes Good Friday. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. And then the line that we're going to look at next week describes Easter Sunday. On the third day, he rose again. But then this little line describes what happened in between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, what is sometimes called Holy Saturday. He descended to the dead. Jesus' spirit went to the place where dead spirits go. Now, the Old Testament doesn't have a lot of information about this realm of the dead. It's called Sheol. Uh, that word, if you look in a lot of Old Testaments, sometimes they won't even translate it. They'll just say Sheol. Some uh, translations will put that simply as the grave. And what you'll notice if you study that word throughout the Old Testament is that two things are consistently true. So one is that both the spirits of the righteous and the unrighteous are assumed to go to Sheol to the grave, the realm of the dead. Now, that's not to say that they assumed that everyone who went to Sheol had the same experience in Sheol. Uh, there was actually different views on that. Some people, like the Sadducees, would say, Sheol actually is just like non-existence. Nobody experiences anything there. Um, but other Jews, like the Pharisees, uh, believed that people did have some sort of experience in Sheol, and there was also a stream of thought that assumed that if you had been righteous, if you were in good standing with God, then your experience in Sheol would be pleasant, and that if uh, you had not been, if you were not in good standing with God, then your experience in Sheol would be negative. Um, but whatever the case, righteous and unrighteous alike were all assumed to go to the realm of the dead. Sheol. And the second thing you'll notice if you study that word Sheol is that spirits descend when going there. They descend. Now, I think we should take that word descend as a metaphor. Uh, if you think about it literally, it means that the spirits go down into the literal earth, right? Which means that if we had the right tools, we could dig deep enough and then, oh, here it is, it's the realm of the dead, this is where all the spirits are. Uh, but I don't think that's the way that we're supposed to understand it. I think we're supposed to think of descent as a metaphor. So think of it this way. Descent 
implies a movement from a greater form of existence to a lesser form of existence. In the Old Testament, death is a kind of demotion. It is a movement to a form of existence that is lesser. And in the creed, we confess that Jesus entered into that form of existence as well. In Jesus, the divine did not just take on flesh, but then that flesh also descended down to the depths, the realm of the dead. He went to the realm where every human spirit from the beginning of human history until 33 AD had gone. And he went there on Holy Saturday. So naturally that raises the question, well, what did Jesus do there? Okay, did, did he go down there and just wait patiently for resurrection? Uh, did he go down there and suffer the torments of hell? What did he do? Well, let's start with that, that question. Did Jesus suffer in the realm of the dead? And in my opinion, that is highly unlikely. And uh, I'll, I'll give you two reasons why. So, first of all, when Jesus is on the cross, his last words in the Gospel of John are, It is finished. And that word for finished, it means something like paid in full. It might be what you'd see on a receipt when the debt had been paid, right? So if Jesus on the cross says, it's done, but then he's about to just go down to the realm of the dead and suffer a whole bunch more, it's not done, right? He's still got more suffering to do. So that doesn't seem to fit very well. And then the other reason I'm doubtful that Jesus suffered in the realm of the dead is because of what Jesus says to the thief on the cross. Uh, you guys probably know the story that Jesus was crucified between two criminals. And one of the criminals recognized that Jesus was innocent, that he did not deserve what he was getting. He, he acknowledged, I deserve what I'm getting, but this guy, Jesus, he doesn't deserve what he's getting. And the thief also recognized that Jesus is a king because he said, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. Which, when you think about it, is a statement of incredible faith. Like, here the man is on a cross, and he's dying in front of him. And he says, this is a king, and he's going to come into a kingdom. And Jesus, when you do that, remember me. And Jesus' response to the criminal is, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. So, I don't know about you, but suffering in the realm of the dead doesn't sound like paradise, right? And Jesus says, you will be with me there. So, if Jesus does not go down to the realm of the dead to suffer, what does he go down there to do? Well, unfortunately, the Bible doesn't give us a detailed account of what Jesus does down there, but it does give us some clues. And I think the most tantalizing clue is found in 1 Peter 3, verses 18 through 19. That's what it says. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous, uh, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. 
Now, most scholars would say that the imprisoned spirits referred to here are fallen angels in the realm of the dead. I think it's possible that that's actually referring to human spirits. But whatever the case, the image here is that on Holy Saturday, Jesus enters into the realm of the dead and he proclaims something. He doesn't suffer, he proclaims something. And that word proclamation is um, it's the word that would be used to, for announcing the gospel, right? Announcing the good news of his victory. And so this is what I like to imagine, okay? I'm not saying this is exactly what it was like, but, but this, is, this is my take on it. I imagine Jesus on Holy Saturday, um, he goes down to the realm of the dead, and he announces, I have paid the ransom to free humanity from captivity to death. I have paid it in full. And I am here to take my people to paradise. I have something better for them than Sheol. So, but like Keith was saying, most of you know, this sermon series is based on the same uh, material that I took the, the teens through for the confirmation class. We had about eight kids in the class. And uh, I remember that when I talked about this, about Jesus going into the realm of the dead and making this announcement of victory, there was one student in the class that just went, man, that guy. (laughs) And I thought, that is the right kind of response, right? Awe, worship. You know, I would say, if we can come out of church on Sunday saying, man, that guy, then our work here is done, right? (laughs) That is the most important thing. If you take nothing from this sermon, then this feeling of, man, that guy, that's good, yes. This here, uh, could somebody get the lights so this is a little more visible? Thank you. So this is an icon Uh, that is called Christ's Descent into Hades. So it's basically a, a a symbolic representation, a visual, of what we're talking about here, Christ descending to the dead. And I tried to figure out how old the image is, but I could not get a definitive answer. Uh, All I could find was something that said that this image, which has been Uh, made many, many times, slightly different versions, uh, has ancient prototypes. Okay, so this image is something that the church has been using for a very long time to depict what we're talking about, symbolically. Um, So, of course, you've got Christ in the middle. I think this actually, yes, i got a laser pointer. All right, never used that before, six and a half years. Okay, so... Here's Christ, and he's standing over this black pit, which represents the realm of the dead. And you can see here, what these are are doors that are off their hinges. Those represent the gates of hell, which Jesus has broken down. And then, I know this is really hard to see, but there are these little white things in the black. 
Those are keys, and those are supposed to represent that Christ has freed the prisoners in there. He's unlocked the doors. And then um, here we have Old Testament saints on both sides, and there's this one man that Jesus is pulling out of the realm of the dead, and one woman. Any guess who they are? No? Adam and Eve. Yes, it's supposed to be Adam and Eve. And you can see, yeah, he's pulling them out. I I love this image. I think it's very powerful, right? Because here we have Adam and Eve, first humans talked about in the Bible, first sinners, right? And Christ is pulling them up out of hell or Hades, the realm of the dead. Sometimes people will describe the realm of the dead as hell. I'm a little iffy on using that word because it implies certain things about what everyone's experiencing there that may not be accurate. Okay? So it's better to say Hades or Sheol or the realm of the dead. But anyway, you'll also notice here that uh, Jesus is grabbing them not by their hands, but by their wrists. And that's to represent how powerless they are to get themselves out of there. Uh, you guys might know, if you're parents, that you know, if your child is in harm's way and you, you want to grab them and pull them out quickly, you usually can't grab them by the hand, right? Because you've got to do what you're doing too quickly, right? And, and they're not necessarily going to cooperate right away. And so you grab them by the, by the wrist or the arm and, and yank them to safety. And so that's what that is that's suggesting, right? That, that we cannot pull ourselves up out of death, but Jesus does it for us. So, here's another way to think about the significance of Jesus descending to the dead. I guess we can turn, turn back on the lights. Two weeks ago, we read a passage from the book of Hebrews that I think we need to come back to. Hebrews 2, verses 14 through 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, so that's talking about us, human beings, since we are physical creatures, flesh and blood, he too, meaning Jesus, Jesus shared in our humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Okay, so this says that up until Jesus' death, someone held the power of death. Who was that? The devil, right? The devil held the power of death. But after Jesus' death, that changed. So now listen to what Jesus says in the book of Revelation, last book of the Bible. He says, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death in Hades. The devil doesn't hold the power of death anymore. Christ, because of his death, his descent to the dead, now he holds the keys to death in Hades, meaning he is the one who has authority over the realm of the dead and over death itself. 
Before Jesus died, it was like the devil had jurisdiction over that realm. But after Jesus died on the cross, the devil lost his claim there. Jesus came in and he took charge. In the Eastern Orthodox branch of the church, there's a lot of poetry that describes Jesus doing this. And uh, there's a, a guy I appreciate, a scholar named Scott McKnight, who uh, did a, a research study on this poetry. And he summarizes the main themes like this. He says, Christ, the protagonist, breaks the gates and bars of Hades, overpowers Satan and his ministers, and breaks their resistance. Christ then illumines Sheol with his light, destroys death, and opens the way for the dead to rise. Man, that guy. <laughs> now, of course, I mean, we don't know for sure exactly what happened, but I don't think there's any sin in letting our imagination think like that, right? Because the details that we do have suggest that it could have been like that. So why does this line of the creed matter? Well, one reason is because it reminds us that Christ did not forget or neglect all the people that died before his earthly ministry, right? Christ's sacrifice has effects both in the past and in the future, right? It works both ways. Um, I, I remember when I was in college that that was a concern that I heard one student voicing uh, at a meeting uh, of our campus ministry. He said, what about all the people that never got to know Jesus, the people that, that lived before his ministry? Like, what about them? Well, Christ descended to the dead. He went to them, right? He cares about them. He didn't forget about them. Christ descended to the dead, found those that belonged to him, and he pulled them out. Now, here's another reason why this line of the creed matters. If Christ is the one who holds the keys to death and Sheol, if death is now his realm, then that means that when a person dies, they meet Christ. They come into the presence of Christ. Because it's his realm. Now, I want to be careful here. I'm not saying that every person who dies always experiences heavenly peace. I'm not saying that. If we love Christ, when we come into his presence, it's going to be joy, right? If we don't love Christ, when we come into his presence, can't imagine that we would enjoy that, right? Because Christ descended to the dead, death is now a portal into the presence of Christ. That's why Paul says that it's better for him to die than to live. Do you guys remember that passage? He says it in uh, Philippians 1, 21 through 24. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Now, it sounds a little bit like Paul is contemplating suicide here. You know, should I do it or not? 
I don't think that's what's going on. Uh, what was probably happening was Paul was thinking, well, you know, I kind of have two options here. I can cool it for a little while and lay low and stop rocking the boat with all this preaching of the gospel. And if I do that, then I'll be able to not be martyred, you know, and I'll be able to keep helping the churches from a distance, right? But then the op other option is to really go all in, just not hold back, and then let the Roman Empire put him to death. And he's thinking of those two options, and he's saying, well, I would like to be in the body to keep helping the churches, but he's like, man, dying, I get to go be with Christ, and that's way better. And so this is the way Paul thought about death, as this portal into the presence of Christ. How do you feel about death? I'll be honest, I hate death. I hate it. You know, for a long time, I have found comfort in the passage where uh, Jesus goes to the tomb of his dead friend Lazarus, and he weeps. Even though Jesus knows that in just a few minutes, he is going to raise Lazarus up from the dead. He still weeps when he sees the body of his dead friend. Death grieves him. Death grieves the incarnate God. I find comfort in that. But we do have to recognize something has changed since that moment when Jesus wept over the grave of Lazarus. And what's changed is Jesus defeated the power of death and now he holds the keys to death in Hades. I remember early in Sarah and my relationship when we were dating, and you know, when you're dating and you have these long, long, ep uh, epic conversations, at some point I, uh, I don't know how it came out, but I was just like, I hate death. And Sarah said very matter-of-factly, death brings us closer to God. And Paul agrees with her. <laughs> Now, I just want to clarify something. There's nothing wrong with weeping over death. Okay, for one thing, it's painful to be separated from those we love. And death does that, at least temporarily, for us. And also, there is something off about death, because when we die, we become separated from our physical body. And that is actually not ideal. God's intention for human beings has always been for us to be this mixture of dirt and spirit, uh, to be united to a body. And that's why our redemption is not complete until we are given resurrection bodies. I'm jumping ahead here, but you might know the last line in the creed that we've been saying is, I believe in the resurrection of the body, in the life everlasting. That's not talking about Jesus' resurrection. We're going to talk about that next week. That's talking about your resurrection, right? So there is something still fundamentally off about death in that sense, because it is not the ideal for us to be separated from the body. Separation from the body is wrong. Separation from those that we love is wrong. And so it is appropriate to weep. But 
Because Christ descended to the dead, we don't have to mourn like those who have no hope. Because for those of us who love Christ, death is no longer demotion. Death is promotion. At death, we don't enter into Sheol. We enter into paradise, like the thief on the cross. For those of us who love Christ, death is not dissension. Death is ascension. It's not falling into the dark. It is rising into the light. And when we die, Christ grabs us by the wrist and he pulls us up to a place of peace and safety. And so when our time comes, we can say, just like Jesus did on the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Amen. Lord, if any of us today are haunted by the fear of death, Lord, we pray that you would break that power. Lord, help us to recognize that you have descended down to the depths of the realm of the dead, that you hold the keys, that you're in charge there, and that your, your desire, your will, is to pull us up out of there if we will just trust you and believe in you. Lord, free us from that fear. Lord, we thank you that... To live is Christ and to die is gain. May the peace that comes from that flood our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.